0: Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name.
1: Enjoy. Hi, my name is Rebecca Martinez, and I'm from Seattle, Washington. Um, I'm talking about racism on Facebook, and my story is that I had a a friend that I worked with.
2: I recently had a dialogue on Facebook with a friend of mine about immigration and executive orders.
0: One of my elementary school friends who I grew up with posted
1: a story about hair salons accepting EBT cards. And it just got really uncomfortable because the posts he was making were about Hispanic people and I um married to a Hispanic man. And some of her friends started to chime in and they made fun of African-Americans on the
0: way that they spoke and how they were going to get their hair did.
2: A friend of theirs whom I didn't know interjected a, uh, a picture. And this was a photo of our current president.
0: By the time they got to the whole Chinaman thing and doing the nails, I just said, you know what, this is just too much for me.
2: A noose was photoshopped in, so now it looks like someone's putting a noose around his neck, and it was entitled, Hope on a Rope. It's what everyone's been waiting for.
0: Now, I no longer see racist comments on my Facebook page because I deleted my Facebook page. This is New Tech City from WNYC, where digital gets personal. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And those were stories from listeners Rebecca Martinez, Jason Gonzalez, and Tamika Cody. Things can get ugly out there in Facebook land. And for many, things have gotten especially ugly since the racially divisive grand jury decisions in St. Louis, Missouri, and Staten Island, New York. We commissioned a little survey of 300 Facebook users, and nearly half said they'd seen a race discussion show up in their newsfeed in the past month. But get this. 30% of them said they had considered unfriending or blocking a Facebook friend because of offensive posts about the news or social issues, just like Rebecca, Jason, and Tamika. That data comes to us in partnership with the company Stervata. So what should we do when racist comments flood into our social media feed? Do we just unfriend the offender? Do we call them out or even pick a fight? Or take the path of least resistance. Just ignore it and hope it goes away. If you've been struggling with how to react to some nasty racist stuff on your feed, well, this show is for you. I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. Each of us has to make the right decision for ourselves, you know? But I have talked to some very smart people for this show. They have intriguing and proven ideas— You're going to get some facts about racism on Facebook. You're going to get more personal examples and actually also a tool that is designed for healthy race dialogue. And you're going to get a few jokes. Yeah, we're going to have jokes. You may not laugh at them, but I feel like dark humor is totally key in times like this. Okay, so let's start with uh, the saddest, truest joke that I read last week, which was from Chris Rock on Twitter. I'm going to read it to you. Just found a new app that tells you which one of your friends are racist. It's called Facebook. Yeah. Okay, but seriously, when you start to see that a friend of yours is dropping slurs or kind of charged language over and over again, it can start to wear you down. It gets to you.
2: That's the real deal, man.
0: Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen is a New Yorker. He's a New Tech City listener, a friend of the show. He's in his late 30s. What are you? 37, I think. He's got 4,000 Facebook friends. It's a lot of friends because he's a really nice guy. And since we're talking about race here this week and this is radio, we're going to add that you are black, Ibrahim.
2: Yeah, 100%. I'm as black as I get, I guess. I'm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, in terms of the racial mix of your friends, over – you said 4,000 of them, mostly white, mostly black, nice mix.
2: I would say it's probably a healthy mix. I mean I went to – I used to live upstate New York, New England. I've lived in California. So I think the mix reflects the demographics of those places.
0: And so if you had to use like three words to describe your Facebook feed normally, what would you say? Like I would congenial?
2: Say what's that? Congenial? Yeah. People are generally in good spirits. There's usually – a nuance of difference about a particular issue that's maybe the the story of the day or the conversation of the day and then there's generally a banter about sports that probably takes up too much time.
0: Okay. So now I want to take you back though to when Ferguson happened and Michael Brown, that unarmed black teenager who was shot by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. There was months of tense waiting and then the officer, Darren Wilson, was not indicted by a grand jury. Things got Heated, very heated in Ferguson. And what happened on your Facebook
2: feed? So everything I started putting up, people started to comment from wide places on my network. Just just crazy people that I hadn't even thought about in probably like 20, 30 years. And um, all of a sudden, it was like people from elementary school arguing with people from college. And it got a little bit ugly.
0: Do you have any examples that you can give us? <sighs>
2: Well, okay, so there's a a classic comment that has come up in a lot of different places from mostly white members on my Facebook feed that says, well, more black people kill black people than white people kill black people. And and on that day, my emotions with that were just – it just broke my heart because, okay, sure, that might be true. But that – and I had no actual way to respond to it. I had no – you know i you know you you look for something witty or you want to say something brilliant or smart, you want to say something cutting or or the right thing, but then what ends up happening on Facebook is that you just like vomit right it's unedited emotional barrage, and you know Facebook gives you the space to just let it out and did you um I did a lot of times um and would go would' trying and go tit for tat with different people. People started inboxing me directly being like, why don't you just cut these people off your Facebook feed? I see it as my network and a, a, a digital representation of my network and almost like an archive of the people that I've encountered and come across. And if I want to understand my story, my history, all of the ways that I've come about, that this is one of those vehicles for me to really, it's almost like this weird digital therapy space where you can kind of get to the heart of who you are via who the people you've in, interacted with. I
0: mean, that's a beautiful thing. What you're saying is like, this is the fabric of your life and it has white threads and it has black threads. Right.
2: And it has people that Yes, when I went to college, I met a guy who had a swastika tattooed on his arm, and I played football with him, and we had to support each other. And we're still friends on Facebook.
0: Ibrahim won't unfriend people, even a guy with a swastika. Because Ibrahim thinks, and I do too, if we all just unfriend people we disagree with— Then we make our world even smaller and more homogenous. And surely Facebook is a chance to bring more diversity into our lives, not less. Because offline, things are definitely homogenous. There's this statistic that's been flying around. Maybe you saw it. Last year, the American Values Survey found that white Americans have social circles that are, on average, 91% also white. Black Americans average a social circle that's 83% black. So when it comes to talking about anything offline in real life, we definitely tend to talk to people of our own race. So what about online? Well, we called up Facebook, and a friendly company spokesperson told us that they don't track the racial composition of people's friends on the social network in any way. But Facebook did tell us that in the 24 hours after the Ferguson grand jury decision, 11 million people had 33 million interactions about Ferguson On Facebook. That's a lot of interaction in one day.
1: So, we have a tendency to build these social networks that are more alike us than different from us. Uh, We might see differences of opinions in our Facebook groups, but networks hold together a little bit uh, based on similar attitudes.
0: Shannon Rao is a social psychologist at Benedictine University in Illinois. And Rao did a study to see how people respond to comments about race on Facebook.
1: We created a Facebook page for a fictional person. This person was a young white male. Uh, we showed it to Internet users and then they responded to it. So
0: hundreds of people in her sample... They were all white on Facebook. They were each shown one of three fake messages from this fake account. So the first message recognized discrimination is still a real problem. The second message was overtly racist, laying out reasons why whites are superior. And people responded to those two messages as you'd hope.
1: Participants agreed with that first message and they really rejected the overt racist message. They rejected racism. Phew. It's a relief, right? Right.
0: Okay, but then Rao and her team put out a third message from this fake Facebook guy. Still racist, but from a different angle.
1: We called it the victim message. And in this message, the writer discussed why whites are the most oppressed group in America today. And we found a high level of agreement with this message, particularly among people who use Facebook frequently.
0: Wedged between sports scores and gossip, this less obvious racist message wasn't flagged. People just sort of, you know, they went with it. And here's the thing. If nobody takes
1: issue with ugly comments, then they just start to seem normal. When messages are kind of more subtle and are more in line with what they would already agree with, they can be pretty powerful.
0: But here's what I found really intriguing. Rao says this subtle message is really most powerful when it's shown to what she calls frequent Facebook users. People who are on there all the time, you know who they are. They really want to be part of a group. They're there to be social, be part of a community. They're not just popping on occasionally to get some quick information.
1: So if you're really the kind of person who's using Facebook, you're motivated to to connect with others, to gain social approval. We find that those people are a little bit more swayed by a, a subtly racist message. That is depressing.
0: Makes me wonder if finding a community online can mean losing the ability to think critically. Most of us probably do create a homogenous society for ourselves off and online. Okay, you got ready for a joke to lighten things up just for a minute? Okay, so what do you get if you combine the word Facebook with the word racism? Fascism! Ah, yeah. I told you they'd be dark. Okay, so those were your facts about racist posts on Facebook. Now we're going to get to what to do about it. Look, this stuff can be tough to talk about. I'm in my own Brooklyn media elite stroller-pushing bubble most of the time. I'm trying to climb out with you. Anyway, coming up, a solid, actionable, four-step plan you can put to use when you catch something racially offensive coming at you.
3: You have the opportunity to stop and pause. And so you can deal with however it's triggering you before you push send on your message.
0: Hey, last week our show was about various ways we're replacing human beings with automation. And the response was mixed to the idea— Kara Page found the statistics about how many jobs could be replaced by robots, and I'm quoting here, she was on Twitter, utterly depressing. Then Marcel Bellinga told us there's no such thing as over automation. Robots turn us into super professionals. Okay, so if you want to side with the robots or against them, go add to the comment section of last week's show. We would still really love to hear from you. This is an issue that's not going away too. We're back. This is New Tech City. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And this week we've already been hearing from a lot of you about your tips or your issues with dealing with a Facebook feed when things get ugly. Let's hear from listener Max Galka. His Facebook has been covered with pictures of protests and strong opinions, most of which he agrees with. But
3: if I didn't agree, I certainly wouldn't express it on social media for fear of being thought of as uh, a racist
0: So how can we have meaningful conversations about current events or race without freezing in fear? Look, we know getting into fights on social media, trying to persuade someone, it rarely works. You are probably not going to win an argument on Facebook. Social psychology researchers have proved this. The more you try to convince someone, the more he or she buckles down and defends his or her position. But debate, in essence, is good right? All kinds of discussions and feelings about race and policing have been going on here in New York since the Eric Garner case. And of course, recently, Ferguson, Missouri and the whole St. Louis area have really been the epicenter for these kinds of heated exchanges. So I wanted to get advice from someone there. Hi, how are you? DeWitt Campbell III has worked in social services for more than 15 years in St. Louis. Now he's a program associate and dialogue facilitator with the National Conference for Community and Justice.
3: NCCJ St. Louis works throughout the community convening dialogues around issues of diversity and inclusion we go into schools and work with teachers and administrators. We go into social service agencies and for-profit businesses that ask us to come in to help them experience difference.
0: So tough conversations, even online, can be constructive if they're done right. DeWitt says he's seen it happen with teenagers at summer camp, warring coworkers, even on his own Facebook feed.
3: I think a lot of people have been having pretty negative experiences with talking online, and I have actually felt that my experiences online have actually been very positive because I have the opportunity to stop and pause.
0: Now, I understand you have an acronym, actually, that spells out your process for how you do this. Do I have this right? It's called LARA?
3: Laura, yeah, um, Laura is a great tool that we use um, through NCCJ. We use in most of our training about having difficult conversations. Our normal use is for when you're one-on-one or in person having these conversations. But I'm finding that I really like to practice using Laura online. And would so you like me to go through, through, it. through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Go for it. So the, the first um, letter is L, and that stands for listen. And, you know, lots of people think that they listen. But I want people to imagine that the person that they're listening to is their favorite person alive or dead in the whole wide world. And even if you didn't like what they were saying, you would have so much reverence, so much respect, that you would give your entire attention to what they're saying. And... When you're doing that listening, you're looking to find places to connect. Where I think a lot of times when we're having conversations about race, we are looking for places to disagree, and Laura is asking us to look for places to agree. Following from that listening is to affirm what they're saying. There's real magic in the process of affirming the other person's point of view even when folks are saying things that are um, pretty triggering, you're looking for some some nugget of, of information in what they're saying that you could affirm. Um, one of my hot buttons is when people say, oh, I don't see color. Um, we're all just the same. And to me, based on my education, I hear that to mean that if, if I could just do away with my race, then I could be equal with other people. Or um, if you do away with my race, then I'll be more white. And, and so that's kind of a triggering thing for me. Hmm. But if I'm listening with – if I'm really listening to what they're saying, I think that generally speaking what they're trying to convey is the idea that they want everybody to be treated equally. Mm -hmm. And with with affirmation, you're really earnestly looking for something that you can connect with and say, I agree with that portion of what you're saying, or I can see where you're coming from.
0: Okay, so we're at listen and affirm, and we're going to go to R. But before we go to R, I just want to say, like, I say that all the time, that I think we're all just the same underneath. So the fact that that was something that you would have to work to affirm – is very interesting and eye-opening to me already. So just putting that out there, to it. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough.
3: Um, and and the, the reason for that, actually, is that the the totality of who we are is really important, and it means a lot, and it speaks to our history. It speaks to my daily experience. It speaks to your daily experience, um, who you are, how you're comprised. And to kind of try and wipe those things away, um, I think, leaves us very bare. Hmm.
0: That is that respond R respond right there. What you just gave me. Uh,
3: that actually that 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 is responding.
0: Okay, so listen L affirm A respond R. One more A to go.
3: Absolutely, and that's add information. And at this stage, you're trying to uh, come up with something that continues the conversation. Um, When I'm not on on top of my game and I get triggered and I'm having a conversation, um, my goal is often to kind of shut down the conversation and say something so profound that the other person feels bad about themselves or feels (laughs) frustrated and they don't want to talk. So when we're adding information, we're just looking for some way to continue the conversation. So I might say, now, at one point in time, I also said that, I don't see color. And it took me a while to come to a different understanding of that. Is that kind of where you were coming from?
0: Mm.
3: And, and hopefully that's um, leading to more conversation.
0: So what you're saying is that Lara was originally developed to be done in person, but you think it works just as well in social media.
3: I think it works even better in social media because my affirmation doesn't have to be in the moment, my listening doesn't have to be perfect the first time around because the text still remains. So I think it actually um, is a great place to practice it.
0: DeWitt, thank you so much for your time in explaining Lara to us.
3: No problem. Glad to do so.
0: DeWitt Campbell III is a social service worker and dialogue facilitator with the National Conference for Community and Justice in St. Louis. We have specially designed a Lara how-to that you can put on your Facebook feed. And I don't think it's just for, you know, discussions about race. I am going to try it in my marriage, too. We can all be better at listening to each other. Get it. Share it. The Lara handout at NewTechCity.org. Now, remember our friend Ibrahim from the top of the show? Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen. It's like,
2: so what? Right? Like white on white crime and black. His and black
0: trigger crimes. was white friends telling him to just trust the justice system.
2: There were a number of people who I literally, and I say this with all seriousness, I literally have not thought about them probably since elementary or middle school that consistently put up this common refrain about the, the witnesses and the data and, you know, just on and on and on. These are white friends. White friends. And it was just this really intense conversation that's happening about. You know, um, we should just trust the justice system. Like if you have nothing, if you've done nothing wrong, you should feel like, you know, you should you should you should be um, angry that that people are rioting and protesting and expressing their anger. If you've done nothing wrong, you you shouldn't even worry about this.
0: And these posts infuriate him, but he's still able to move through the initial anger and find something to affirm a core belief both sides can share. What people really
2: want to believe is that our justice system works well for everybody. I want to believe that. Everybody wants to believe that. To shatter that belief is really difficult for some people to handle, and that's where people need a little bit of support. People aren't necessarily bad people.
0: Eventually, after hours and hours on his laptop, Ibrahim just gets too tired trying to calmly respond to all of the Facebook posts he's been seeing. It's time for an open letter.
2: So I got 125 likes on this one post. And at the moment, I was exhausted from having this conversation. I think I had just put something out there and read the the litany of comments and then looked at their pages and was shocked to see how racist they were. And so I wrote this. I said, I have a lot of white men on my Facebook feed that feel justified in telling black people how to react to murders by police and who also vehemently defend the officers' actions. On their own pages, they have some of the most vile and racist posts and propaganda I went to school with some of these individuals, and as such, they are part of the tapestry of my life and community. I will not erase them from my feed. If you are my friend and want to know how pervasive the ignorance is amongst white men in this country, I suggest you read some of the things they are posting. Seriously, though, what are they so angry
0: about? People didn't just like Ibrahim's post. It sparked dozens of comments and some really serious earnest conversations about race. A few friends admitted to him that they'd just been unfriending people who pissed them off, but his post made them pause. If you think someone in your Facebook circle should hear Ibrahim's story, share this episode on your Facebook feed. Tag them in a post. We've also got that handy-dandy Facebook-friendly guide to Laura for you and yours to share in the spirit of civilized dialogue. Go to NewTechCity.org for that. Or, or you can go to our brand new Facebook page. Search for New Tech City on Facebook and be the first to friend us. Up until this week, we've just been using my own page, but we are growing. And many of you have been asking, where's the New Tech City page? Well, it's here. Finally, a place for conversations about the show to give you inside looks at what we're working on, what we're thinking about. Most of all, though, a place for you to tell us what's on your mind about tech and your life so we can turn your stories into great radio. Hope to see you there, friend. I'm listening. Next week, we visit perhaps the strangest, most interesting man in the great state of New Jersey and the weird little world that he's created called Cyber City.
2: Unfortunately, the coffee shop in Cyber City is a hotbed of terrorist activity. So terrorists go into the coffee shop, they hack into the doctor's laptops, and then will ride across their connections into the hospital and try to cause mayhem in the hospital.
0: How a miniature model town is working to protect you from cyber attacks. You will never feel the same way again when you use Wi-Fi at Starbucks. Listen by subscribing to New Tech City on iTunes or Stitcher, anywhere you like to listen to on-demand audio. And if you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. That and my two front teeth are all I want for Christmas. Special thanks this week to Rebecca Martinez, Max Galka, Ben King, and Tamika Cody, and everyone else who got in touch to share their stories for this show. We so, so appreciate it. I'm Anusha Samarodi. This is New Tech City, and I'll see you next week. fascism oh ha ha. ha. <laughs>